You don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. This week, I was honored to be the featured guest on Build Your House Yourself University, which is a great podcast and an awesome website. It's a super valuable resource to check out if you're thinking about doing a home reno on your own. The host, Michelle Nelson, it turns out, is a big fan of my podcast, and so she asked me to come on to give her listeners some advice about color palette, about um, starting from scratch, and about what metal finishes to use throughout your house and how to keep it looking cohesive without necessarily being matchy-matchy. I shared all that and more this week on our podcast, and so I figured I would share it with you because certainly if you enjoy this episode, you're going to love her her show. So check it out and check me out. And here we go. Welcome to episode 89 of Build Your House Yourself University by HiU. I'm Michelle Nelson, your host and fellow student. And together we'll learn the basics of home design and construction and demystify the building process so we can make educated decisions and build quality dream homes with or without a general contractor. This week we'll learn some interior design basics, especially as it pertains to new and remodeled homes. You'll hear my conversation with Betsy Helmuth, owner of Affordable Interior Design and host of her own interior design podcast called Big Design, Small Budget. It's one of my new favorites. I just love it. And here's why. In the same way this podcast simplifies and demystifies home building concepts, Betsy on Big Design, Small Budget simplifies and demystifies interior design. So to go along with Buy High Use tips and tricks for building your dream house, Betsy will give you strategies for decorating your dream house. And she really knows her stuff. She's appeared on the Today Show, HGTV, the DIY Network, CBS, NBC, and plus she's been featured in dozens of magazines and newspapers. Today, you'll hear her expert advice on what to do and where to start when designing rooms from scratch. Betsy will tell us what fixtures and finishes should stay consistent throughout the whole house and when it's okay to add in different color palettes and styles. We'll also hear why Betsy says investment furniture and all neutral rooms are no-nos. So let's get right to it. Here's my interview with Betsy Helmuth of Affordable Interior Design. So this week we have a guest on the podcast Betsy Helmuth, and she is the owner of Affordable Interior Design, and she's also a podcaster. And I found her podcast a few weeks ago. It's called Big Design, Small Budget, and I've been binge listening ever since. I love Betsy because she is serious about design, but she's not she doesn't take it too seriously. She's funny and a little bit sassy, and she has great tips. How are you today, Betsy? I am good, Michelle. Thanks for having my sassy self on your show. <laughs> you are welcome. I'm excited. You want to get right into it? I'm ready. All right. So I have a few questions for you, and it's especially geared towards those of us who are building new homes, those of us starting with clean slates. And so let's start with the first question. My question, my first one is, when you're starting out with the clean slate of a completely empty house or a new room, where do you begin with the design? Is it the paint color, the furniture, the window treatments, or something else? 
The first thing you want to think about is what you're going to do in each room, which area needs to function for which type of activity. Do you want to watch TV in the formal living room? Do you want to keep that exclusively to the family room? Where do you want to eat dinner every day? Is it the eat-in kitchen or are you really going to use that formal dining room every single night? These are questions you want to ask yourself first. I don't care about the color palette. I don't care about the fabrics. Is this room going to function and how will it function best. So layout is the first component, but if you are really starting from a blank slate, if you really had a home with no walls and you were building it from the ground up, then I would give more square footage to those activities you're going to be doing more often. So function and layout, those are the first things we should think about. Definitely. And I am an interior designer, right? So I love all things poofy, froofy, frilly, fun. (laughs) But my eye is always on two things, practicality and the bottom line. If it doesn't feel good, I don't care how good it looks. I want to make sure that this room is going to work for you before I care about where we're getting the wallpaper. So I really want to keep that function component in mind while I work with my clients throughout the process. I love that, Betsy. So let's talk about layout then, since that's one of the more important things. What are the most common layout mistakes that you see? The most common layout mistake that I see, well, I'm a big feng shui fan. I don't know if you're into that, but a lot of my clients aren't into that. So I just pitch it as the way that things flow best in the room. And the major piece of seating or the major primary piece of furniture, be it a bed, a sectional, a sofa, should be within eye distance of the door. In other words, I want you to be able to see that main point of access from wherever you're sitting. If it's behind a desk, from the desk, you should be able to see that main point of entry. If it's a bed, that bed should be ideally placed kitty corner from the door on a diagonal. That's the power position in any room. It makes you feel more comfortable. It makes you feel in control and in command of your space and not vulnerable. If your back is to the main point of access, think about your office space or where you work. If your back is facing the doorway, that's very vulnerable, setting you up for a loss of power, loss of control, lack of success. Same thing in your bedroom. If you're not getting a good night's sleep, if you're fretting and tossing and turning, is it because you can't see that main point of access? Perhaps your bed is on the same line as the entry door, in which case you can't see people coming and going and you're feeling vulnerable, uncomfortable, shifty. So think about that. A lot of times on one arm of a sectional, your back will be facing that main point of access, be it a hallway from the kitchen area or be it the true entry door. And that arm sitting on that arm of the sectional feels less comfortable, less inviting. And there's a reason for that. So think about that primary piece as something that can clearly see the main point of access. In my opinion, that's the most important component in each room. So that's layout. Let's talk about color a little bit, Betsy. I know you are a big fan of color, but are there any color palettes that we should avoid? Well, there are colors that are controversial, right? So purple is the most controversial color in the spectrum. 
because if you look at a prism with all the different fractals of light, the purple fractal is at the very end. It has a very busy vibration, which makes it feel less stable and less comfortable. So that's why purple has associations with mysticism, magic, the um, otherworldly spheres. And so it doesn't feel as restful or as comfortable. And most people feel that purple is not a color that they can relate to. Additionally, it's quite feminine, overly feminine. So a lot of men have trouble connecting to that color. So purple is a color that I use in small doses, if at all. Orange is another one of those colors that's just very polarizing. Most people don't like orange and it has nothing to do with how it vibrates on the spectrum because it's pretty much right in the middle. But orange is just one of those colors that most of my clients are like, nope, that's a non-starter for me. So there are a couple colors that I avoid. I also avoid pink because of its feminine overtones again. In terms of creating a color palette, I try and stick with three colors per room just so that the room feels focused and less chaotic. And also it's easier when you're shopping to just be restricted to three tones. That being said, I try and mix up warm tones with cool tones. So I won't make a color palette that is green, blue, and purple. Those are all cool colors. Rather, when I'm choosing my three, I'll make sure I have at least one warm color, maybe two. Let me just ask you about the pink and the purple, because I know that there are listeners out there who have little girls who really want a pink and or purple room. So how about putting those colors, well, primarily in the little girl's room? Is, Is that okay? make her dreams come true. (laughs) My daughter has a room that is pink, purple, and teal. Those are the three colors for her space. And, you know, most adults are not going to gravitate towards that palette. Even women with, with these traditionally feminine colors are not going to find themselves drawn to these three colors when decorating their homes. It's not typically that sophisticated. And also, it's not balanced, right? It feels like a princess palace, which is wonderful when you're four. But when you're 14, you find that people are like, you know what? I'm over this, mom. I'm ready (laughs) to shop again. Let's introduce some navy. Let's introduce some burgundy. Let's get a little bit more interesting. Gotcha. So talking about color palettes, this is a question that I've had for a while now. Do you think that the color palette, the overall style, and the finishes of a house such as cabinetry, flooring, and countertops, should all those things stay consistent throughout the entire house or is it okay to give different rooms different personalities? I'm going to work this question backwards. So you first, um, well, you ended by talking about trim, cabinet color, flooring color, any architectural finishes, which happen to be those floorings, window moldings, crown molding. I think that that needs to be consistent throughout the whole home. So when you're painting your trim color, I don't want it to be different in the basement than it is in the living room, than it is in the office, right? So I think those architectural architectural finishes should remain consistent. I have a rather controversial point of view in that I also think that your metal finishes should stay relatively consistent. If you have silver doorknobs or nickel doorknobs, I think you should continue with silver metals throughout, be it your curtain rods or your lamps or your kitchen handles. And I like to mix the finishes in terms of you could do a brush silver, you could do a chrome, you could do a polished nickel. But I stay pretty literal with that 
Now, when it comes to color palettes, there you can really mix it up. So a lot of people have those open concept layouts, right? Where the living room bleeds right into the dining room, opens up into the kitchen. And in that case, if I can see the other rooms, if there's not doors separating these rooms, then I try and keep that color palette consistent. That way there is a cohesion. But upstairs in the bedrooms, I like to make each one quite unique. They're all behind doors, so I can't easily see one from the other unless the doors are open. And each bedroom really gets a different vibe, at least in my home. And I think that it's perfectly fine for other people's homes as well. Good. I'm glad to hear that. That's the answer I wanted you to tell me. So, well, there we go. You're welcome. <laughs> Let's go to the next question. What are some of your design pet peeves? You know, I have a real pet peeve right now with people who don't want to use any color. Because my clients come to me because they're on a budget. My business is called Affordable Interior Design. My podcast is called Big Design, Small Budget. So when you're designing on a budget and you design with all neutrals, and by neutrals, I'm talking about grays, creams, whites. When you use those colors, beige exclusively, it looks like you didn't make any choices. If I go to Ikea and I say, give me everything in taupe, Well, you're going to look like page 14 of the Ikea catalog, like you just ripped it out and said, this is what I want, not making any choices. If you were designing a mansion, say, or an amazing apartment on Park Avenue and you used all gray tones, well, each selection would be really expensive. I'd have gray silk from Japan. I would have this impeccably embroidered gray fabric that was hand woven. I would have these rugs that were knotted in Tibet. And everything would be amazing because of its detail and impeccable finishes. But when you're shopping for neutrals at Crate and Barrel, Room and Board, Pottery Barn, the lines are a little wonky. The finishes aren't perfect. The seaming isn't precise. And then I have nothing else to look out but how cheaply everything is made in these neutrals. When I pop it with some color, when I pop it with a pattern, automatically it camouflages those issues. And instead, my visual attention is taken by these interesting moments. When it's neutral, it's pretty neutral. There's not too many interesting moments. People are gravitating towards that because everything blends in. But, you know, at a certain point, is that boring? The answer is yes. (laughs) So I really feel sad. And I used to push my clients because you know I'm sassy. Mm -hmm. So I used to push my clients and say, we're using one color in this room, Roy G. Biv color, something found in the rainbow. I want you to choose But um, if you don't choose, I'm choosing for you. Nowadays, I will do a neutral space, but um, a little piece of me dies. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) A little colorful piece of glitter inside my soul dies each time I design a purely neutral room. That makes me so sad. What about because I love – I'm not an all taupe kind of girl, but I do have an affinity for mixing neutrals. I've seen that in a couple of spaces in Pinterest, and I really like that, like mixing maybe a camel and a gray and whites and blacks all together. Is that just a horrible – I know you'll tell me the truth, Betsy. I'm going to tell you right now. (laughs) That's a horrible idea. (laughs) No, no, no. That's an amazing idea. And Michelle, I know you're a millionaire, right? 
You have millions <laughs> of dollars to spend on this decor, am I right? Well, I don't. I do not. Are you sourcing these items from trade-only, high-end, custom furniture stores? No. Oh, gosh. You better pop some color, girl. Did you not hear what I just said? <laughs> no okay. exclusively neutral spaces unless you're a millionaire. Okay. All right. Well, I'll pass you on that then. All right. <laughs> All right. So before we continue to our next segment, let's cut for a commercial break. Then I have even more questions. Are you loving the Big Design Small Budget Podcast? Are you looking for a way to get even more content and to support us as we grow? Well, look no further. You can become a premium member at BigDesignSmallBudget.com. For $3.99 a month, you can get access to our entire archive of over 100 episodes. Get access to all that amazing design knowledge, insider info. Additionally, get a weekly bonus episode that is exclusive to our premium members. Again, you can become a member and support this show at BigDesignSmallBudget.com. That's under $4 a month. Or if you'd prefer an annual membership, you can get 12 months of amazing additional content and all those archives for only $39.99 a year. Thank you so much for your support, for being a big fan, and we hope to see you on our VIP platform. Talking about budget, let's talk about some furniture pieces or design items that we should spend a little bit more on and think of as investment pieces and then talk a little bit about things that we can go a little bit cheaper on. I have a real problem with considering furniture an investment piece in this day and age. In this day and age, you know, our lives are so busy. We're not staying in the same job for 30 years. We're not staying in the same home for 30 years. We're just more transient. We're more on the go than our predecessors. Additionally, even high-end furniture isn't made as well as it used to be. It just isn't. So the idea that something would last for 15 years is... um somewhat a thing of the past. Additionally, years ago, we didn't have a lot of options for amazing, interesting furniture. If you didn't have a lot of money, you were buying the basics and there just wasn't a lot of selection. Nowadays, there is a lot of selection at really decent price points and the quality is, you know, what it is. So I think people should think about furniture lasting no more than 10 years. I don't think that there's such thing as an investment piece when our tastes are changing so wildly due to what's available in the market now, which is selection, which is a lot of options. Uh, especially if you have kids, if you have pets, you're on a five to seven year timeline. Let's keep it real because there's stains, there's smells, that stuff doesn't go away, there's scratches. I just am not a big fan of this legacy furniture. Nobody wants your buffet. Your kids don't. Your uncle doesn't. Your cousins don't. And I see too many people who are saddled with these legacy pieces, you know, who are like, I have my grandmother's dining table. It's not my style at all, but it is got all this history and it was very expensive and I feel burdened by it, but I must keep it. Mm -hmm. And I must compromise all my other decisions and my personal tastes because it's a legacy piece. Ugh. Ugh, you don't like that's that. so disheartening. <laughs> that's so oppressive. Grandma, I love you, but I hate your dining table. So, I mean, I think that there's a little bit of a problem with that thinking. That being said, if you want to splurge, the place to splurge is in a bedroom, like a master bedroom, because 
Kids don't come in there very often. You're not typically eating or drinking a lot in that area in terms of spills. So it's an area where things don't get a ton of hard wear and tear. Typically, not to judge anyone's lifestyle, you're not entertaining a lot of people in your master bedroom. Um, (laughs) So you're just not going to get that hardware, right? Um, So I don't mind buying that bed you've always dreamed of at Restoration Hardware. I don't mind splurging. And for me, a splurge are nightstands at Pottery Barn that are 400 plus. That for me is a big leap. But that's the place to do it because nobody is putting their drink down without a coaster in your master. I got you. And if they are, you've got bigger problems You're than um, a four hundred dollar nice. No, no, no. Or, or you know, you decorate accordingly. I'm a big fan of alternative lifestyles, and so certainly, you know, if your lifestyle is a little bit different than that, then go cheap on that furniture too. As you can see, I'm just not a big fan of this long term investment furniture. I don't even know what that means. And as a designer, I bought a rug two years ago. It's in perfect condition. I'm already bored. I'm like, can we change it? Yeah. I'm looking for an excuse to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I just feel like we should be able to be a little more flexible with our lives and our furniture. All right. So you named a couple of places, but where are some of your favorite places to shop for the home? You know, each place has extreme pros and cons. There is no one store, and I don't care how high-end you are, that does everything right. I like room and board for upholstered furniture. I don't like their wood furniture. I like West Elm for all their amazing accents and throw pillows and vases. I don't like anything there that has drawers, and I really don't like their sofas. The stuff I say is keeping it real, right? They're not going to be calling me for brand ambassadorships from these two places, but I really like to tell my clients what I see because I touch, feel, jump on these things every single day. Uh, And I just don't think that any one place gets it right. So I really rely on reviews in terms of when I'm shopping online. I shop online with confidence, but I use stores that have reviews on their websites. Additionally, I use stores that have free shipping or minimal shipping costs so that if I need to return, I can. Because when you constrain yourself to only buying things that you can touch and feel in person, you are limiting yourself by thousands of stores. And why would we do that? Why would we do that? So I shop online with confidence, but I make sure to know the policies of the stores I'm working with. Okay, Betsy, well, I have one more question for you, and that is for you to tell us a little bit about affordable interior design and your podcast and the services that you have that can help us with our new homes. Sure. So yes, I have a interior design firm in New York City. We also have a storefront in Westchester, but we work internationally. We have a virtual plan. Um, You can hire us to come to your space internationally as well. I just got back from England about a month ago. But we have plans starting at $399 and going up to $1299. We try and stay really affordable, but we'll give you those exact plans. But I really feel like a high-end design aesthetic should be affordable and accessible to everyone. So those are our plans, which you can find on our website at affordableinteriordesign.com. And of course, you can check out my podcast, bigdesignsmallbudget.com, where I'm constantly giving away my top tips, constantly dishing on stores and what I think they're doing right, because of course, that's constantly evolving. You know, one season, a store will have amazing lamps, and then the next year, I'm really unimpressed. So that evolution is ongoing. There's always trends I'm seeing, and I love to share and keep it real, as you can tell, on my podcast. And that comes out every Wednesday. 
Well, I am a huge fan of it, Betsy. I have been listening for a few weeks now when I uh, first discovered it. And you do keep it real. <laughs> and I, I love it. I really love it. So I appreciate you so much for the tips that you've given us today and for taking time out of your schedule to talk with us. I appreciate you. And Michelle, I have one question for you before we go. Yeah. What color are you going to pop in that neutral living room now that I've, <laughs> I've pressured you? Tell us. Roy G. Beef color, please. Well, you're not going to like my answer. I'm not sure, but I, I have to say I am a fan of orange. <laughs> you know what? It's one of my favorites as well. So I can't wait to see how you integrate that. I'm expecting after pictures. Okay. All right. We'll see. <laughs> Thank you, Betsy. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.